This episode of the Nevers Podcast is sponsored by Dead Good Teas, aficionados of the sci-fi and horror genre and creators of premium heavyweight t-shirts and hoodies that are built to last. Dead Good Tea ships worldwide, so whether you're braving the Arctic winds of the Yukon or strolling the beaches of beautiful Thailand, Dead Good Teas has you covered. Thank you to Dead Good Teas for supporting quality podcasting. Start shopping today at deadgoodteas.co.uk. And don't forget, you can follow them online at Dead Good Teas. This is a Culture Inject production. On the Nevers podcast this week, we've got a very special episode produced by myself, Kelly, and it's about the monstrous women of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have my co-host, Gina, here today, and I have a special guest, which I will announce in a couple of minutes. So right now, we want to remind you to follow us on our website, hbothenevers.com. We're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at HBO The Nevers. You can stream and download The Nevers podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and anywhere you can find podcasts. And of course, our newly launched Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash join slash The Nevers podcast. Please join us. So yes, our special guest today, I'm so happy to introduce her, is Jessica from The Spencers of Horror, my other project. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and our, my, uh, we have a podcast. It's called I Spit on Your Podcast. So, yeah, Jess, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, as Kelly said, I am spinster number one on the Spinsters of Horror, our website, as well as co-host on our podcast, I Spit on Your Podcast. And, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you also do a lot of writing for the website. It's kind of become a new passion of yours, that- I think. That is very true. I It's funny how like I started out a long time ago with creative writing and didn't think I would ever be able to contribute to the horror community with my own writing. But yeah, it's become something where I'm quite energized about and get really excited about writing about things. Even though it takes me forever, the writing process it eventually <laughs> works out. <laughs> I think it's worth it in the end. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So what's your history with Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I mean, I know, but Gina doesn't know and these listeners don't know. So please share your Buffy history with us. Oh, yeah. So my Buffy history is actually started out with the uh, novelization of the movie. So I read the (laughs) actual novelization of the original movie with uh, 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 Christy Swanson. No, Swanson? Yes. Yes. And then I watched the movie and became obsessed with the movie. And then it wasn't until I met Kelly, like, years, years later. Like, I was, like, a young girl at the time when I read the book and watched the movie. And then Kelly would uh, talk all about Sarah Michelle Gellar and that the, the series itself, the Buffy the Vampire series. And I was very um, hesitant to watch it. Actually, no, very resistant. I resisted watching it for a very long time. And a little bit of like a thing of contention between Kelly and I because she was always like, you know, all about Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy and I was all about Christy as Buffy. So, um, but then it took some time and then I think it was just, I don't know what changed. Like something just kind of switched. And I think I was just kind of going through like a really like 
hard period time in my life and I was watching Xena and like because that's my go-to for this type of uh, I need female empowerment and finally I just like you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna watch the Buffy and I did and I haven't stopped I've, <laughs> I think I've, I've watched the series <laughs> over and over um, just because it's a, such a fun show it's something that you know you get some you get empowerment from but you also get to really just enjoy a great variety of characters and so yeah that's kind of how it changed so much later in okay. life for me <laughs> that's great uh you know Buffy gets I think new fans every single day you know what I mean despite what age you're at if you're a teenager now you're an adult now they she just keeps uh I think the show keeps growing in fandom which I think is pretty amazing yeah I agree okay so what are some of your favorite characters so some of my favorite characters are Anya, um, and that's actually more recent uh, for me. Um, after like my third or fourth watch around, I'm just like, yes, I, I love Anya. Uh, Giles. Giles is uh, a... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Giles. Um, I like Willow. Those are actually like my three main characters that I like the most. I, I do like Buffy. Like I obviously like her as well, but you know, and Faith too. So there you go. So there's some, you know, but those are like the top three are like Willow, Anya, and Giles. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And how about, last question, how about your favorite season or favorite seasons? Uh, my favorite season is, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. I almost feel like I might say something wrong because of our last podcast. People are like, you're wrong. You said it was favorite. Uh, I think season, <laughs> I think season uh, Hush is in season four, right? Yes. Season four yes. has some, a lot of really good episodes in season four that I really like. And season five has some really hard hitting episodes. Um, but I also love season seven. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Good variety there. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And Gina, we haven't heard from you in so Seriously, long. man. Um, I will keep this short because <laughs> there's like a million things. One of my favorite things that have happened recently is I don't know if you guys have ever seen Bojack Horseman. Um, but sadly it's ending season six is the last season. Um, and there was a, an event at the writers guild in LA and it had the season six writers room and it had the showrunner Raphael Bob Wapsburg. And, uh, I went with my sister and my friend and we, we all got to meet the entire writers room and I took a picture with the showrunner and it was incredible. Um, yeah, one of one of the best memories I've had recently. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Bojack Horseman, please do. Um, I believe Tag, the other co-host of ours, that's not on this episode, but he is also obsessed with Bojack Horseman. We've been messaging each other ever since um, the last season ended. So, please, it is one of the best things I'll ever watch. Um, there's been, I hate overhyping things, but there's been so many articles saying that it's like um, the best show of the last decade. And I completely agree with that. So it's a really hard hitting show. I just finished watching oh. it as well. Like it just, yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's good. It's good. It's just really realistic and really emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy, right? It's an animated cartoon show and the main character is a horse, but it's so, it, I always tell people it's more realistic than any other live action show that's on yeah. right now. And it's about a horse that's a cartoon. Like, so good. <laughs> well, no surprise to anyone here. I have not seen it. So, <laughs> heard of it, never watched it. <laughs> 
I highly recommend Excellent. it. <laughs> uh, I will say, are you? I think I saw on your social media that you're starting a cinematography class. Yeah, I'm. I'm so excited about it. So. I've been I've been really focused on screenwriting the past few years. I'm also a singer-songwriter, but screenwriting has been my main thing. And I was like, recently, I'm like, you know what? I was a theater major. Like, I know how to direct actors, so I should try directing. So I've directed a few short films, but I'm like, ah, I would love if I knew how the cinematographer's mind works so I could properly speak to one so I don't sound like <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to take a cinematography class because I don't want that to be in the way of any short films or films that I create. So yeah, it's it feels like a life-changing class already and it just started. So I'm really, really excited. That's amazing. I'm excited for you. It seems really interesting. My my partner is, he went to film school and whatnot. And he's like a videographer, cinematographer. He's done some directing. And I think it's helpful to kind of know what each role is and be kind of multi-talented. And you kind of slip, you can at least slip into different roles. <clears throat> Pardon me. At least understand where everybody's coming from. And I think that's super helpful as far as I can tell from somebody who knows nothing about film. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. And I never want to be that director that, you know, just focuses on the actors and totally forgets about the rest of the crew. So yeah. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. I have, I have nothing to share right now necessarily besides uh, part of my 2020 goals for Spencers of Horror, Jess and I's other project, uh, was to gain more exposure for us and get us on a podcast network. And I got us on a <laughs> podcast network. Yes, so it's only February of Yay. 2020. Yeah, so, so ahead feel, of your goals. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, so far ahead. I checked that off the list very early and it felt very good. So there's that. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Okay, moving on. So we now have subscribers in over 18 countries, including Canada, the United States, El Salvador, Brazil, Chile, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, Germany, Slovenia, Italy, and France, just to name a few, which is really cool. Uh, we'd love, obviously, to get on into more countries. So if you're a subscriber of the Nevers podcast, please share our show with your friends and family and everyone you know so we can continue to grow our audience. We'd love to get listeners in India, China, and Scotland, places like that. So please spread the word. Next up, we're going to get into the news. Well, not really news, but in a recent sit down with People Now, Alison Hannigan opened up about her chemistry read for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how she thought she blew it. She said, I walked into a door and forgot all my lines. I had done the same lines for about eight callbacks. And for this particular time, it was a chemistry read with me, Sarah and Nicholas. Joss wrote a new scene, especially for this audition, and it was all this computer stuff. My character was very computer savvy and it was all this computer jargon. We got to that part and the words just all started swimming. And I don't think I was speaking English, she, she added. Joss later told me that you couldn't say the words to save your life, but I knew right then and there. <laughs> so Allison's new show called Girl Scout Cookie Challenge premiered on the Food Network the night of February 3rd, which is pretty neat. I know, uh, Gina, you had some thoughts on the casting of Allison Hannigan in a different episode of the Nevers podcast, but maybe just throw this to Jess for a moment. Um, Willow's your favorite character. Obviously, Allison Hannigan plays Willow. Could you imagine anybody else playing her? No, I couldn't imagine anyone else playing Willow. Like, just Allison Hannigan brings just a very different, unique personality to that character that is 
just kind of like like I've never seen I've seen a couple episodes of How I Met Your Mother, and mm-hmm. just like you can almost seem like as she's acting is like oh there's like little elements of Willow in there that awkwardness yeah, and that totally. kind of like yeah. you know like yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm a superhero as well not just your sidekick kind of like a personality so yeah yeah <laughs> have you ever watched the unaired Buffy pilot no I have not no neither have I I know it exists on YouTube. It exists on YouTube, so it's very easy to watch, but I just have not done it. But uh, during that unaired pilot, they had a different actress playing Alison Hannigan. So oh, okay, that might would... be might be interesting to check that out. Yeah, I love this story about the um, chemistry read because in a weird way, I'm sure Allison forgetting all the lines and like having trouble with the computer jargon, it must have been kind of charming and like it kind of fits Willow's energy. So even though obviously Willow would understand like all the computer jargon, um, I'm sure obviously Joss wasn't really focusing on that part because he knew that she'd be able to get it. He was probably just focusing on like, how does she fit with Sarah Nicholas? And I'm, I'm so happy that I mean, Joss is an intellectual, so of course he cast them, but I'm really happy about it. Yeah, she was probably super awkward, which was perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our next bit of news. Dennis O'Hare was recently interviewed by the French outlet Binge, where he shared some new insight into this character, Dr. Edmund Haig. O'Hare had the following to say. It's a wild Victorian X-Men meets Sherlock Holmes meets girls with superpowers mashup. (laughs) And I play a delightful scientist. And in my very first episode, I get to sing. So, of course, when I saw Sherlock, (laughs) I thought, I'm going to throw this to Gina because I'm sure she has thoughts on this. (laughs) Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> anyone that's known me, I I was a huge BBC Sherlock fan, but besides BBC Sherlock, I'm a huge uh, Sherlockian. So I've read a lot of the you know original stories from Arthur Conan Doyle. My sister and I have a published novella, and it actually takes place in Moriarty's perspective. Oh. Um, yeah, and we've written songs about Sherlock. We've played at the official BBC Sherlock convention in Los Angeles. Like, Sherlock's my life. Oh. Where and my sister and I are currently <laughs> writing a pilot um, for an original idea for a Sherlock show. So anyway, obviously I love Sherlock. And something that I probably haven't mentioned too much on the podcast is that I also love X Men. Um, I know a mm, lot of oh. people have different views on the recent X Men films. I personally love them. I personally think Simon Kimberg is a genius and I've also met him a few times and he's a screenwriter. Um, so when, when Dennis O'Hare said it's X-Men meets Sherlock Holmes, I, and then, and then he kept going and was like, meets girls with superpowers. I'm like, seriously, this sounds like my ultimate dream. And somehow <laughs> this is happening. Like, I, I, oh. I don't know how it's happening, but it's happening. And it just so happens that Joss Whedon is creating it. So I don't know. It's like four things that I love combined. And and then then he says he has a singing scene. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, oh, I, I can't. I, I can't. <laughs> uh, Jess, I think you're an, a bit of an X-Men fan. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I am a fan of Dennis O'Hare. I'm a fan of X-Men. I'm also a fan of Sherlock Holmes. So. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, okay. What are your thoughts on, on this little tidbit? Um, well, I'm excited to hear that Dennis O'Hare is in the Nevers. Like, I've just because I I love him as an actor, I just think he's great. Mm-hmm. He plays his character so well um, in American Horror Story, and I remember him from True Blood. And every time I see him in something else, I yes. get very excited to see him because he's just so great. Um, 
so X-Men meets Sherlock Holmes. That's going to be super interesting because, yeah, um, I'm, like, a huge fan of, like, the original comic book series and the 90s cartoon. Uh, fan of the first couple of the movies. And the last bit, I have, I have some, like... I want to love the last few X-Men movies. It's just they keep doing... They, they keep trying to do the Dark Phoenix saga. And, like, that story is so important to me, the Dark Phoenix. And it just doesn't seem to go well each time. So I get so... I get, <laughs> I get, so, I get so put off by it. So... Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited to see. And, yeah, I was the same way. I was, I was a fan... I've read a lot of, uh, of the original Sherlock Holmes when I was growing up as a, as a kid. And also, um, I did really like the BBC series until I got bored with it um it got a until series four yeah exactly right and i just stopped watching i just like you know what the first the first two seasons were amazing and i can't do this anymore again yeah no yep. surprise to anyone but i haven't seen much of x-men and sherlock holmes related things so the fact that it's a wild victorian mashup of women with superpowers very into that so that's fine with me and the singing so do you think not that i think that this is going to have like a musical <laughs> element to it but maybe that's a portion of that character that he likes to sing it's interesting that's so interesting and it makes me think like i doubt there's a musical episode in the first season but like is there just a song in the episode like that's so fascinating to me or like you said he could just be singing like acapella and that's just part of his character but Regardless, regardless, it already sounds like fresh and new and not not many shows do that, you know? Yeah. Maybe sounds a little bit playful, too. So it's not going to be super serious all the time, which I think just does really well. So maybe our next bit of news. Cinematographer Seamus McGarvey has departed the production after two episodes. McGarvey served at the show's DOP, Director of Photography, for the season's first two episodes. Listeners might be familiar with McGarvey's work, which include 2012's period piece Anna Karina, apparently a film that Josh shares an affection for and which introduced him to his future MCU Quicksilver for Avengers Age of Ultron film, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, That gentleman also did Atonement and the upcoming Pinocchio. So it doesn't come as much of a surprise that he tapped into McGarvey to work alongside him once again for the first two episodes of this new Victorian drama. Joss is very likely directing the first two episodes himself before handing the reins to other directors for the intermediate episodes before returning to direct more in the future. So that's pretty neat. I don't really have any thoughts on that. I did like Age of Ultron. So cool. (laughs) But not the other movies. (laughs) I'm I'm sure he's done a fine job. Um, when I first heard about this news, I, I literally started freaking out and got really sad because I'm like, no, he's leaving it. But then it hit me. I'm like, no, he's just doing the first two episodes. It's not like he like was supposed to do all of them and then just left. <laughs> Excellent. So going to get into the discussion today on the themes of today's episode. And this is part one, folks. We will definitely have a part two that I really hope Jess comes back for. <laughs> Please. We'll, we'll see how if today goes. If you invite goes. me, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is like my audition? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and folks, tell us in the social media how she does. <laughs> so the first woman up for discussion is Veruca, a female werewolf. You know what I am. You wouldn't know me now. You've known 
known since the first time you saw me. Couldn't you go away? Right before sunset, I get a little buzzed, you know? Come here. I'm not getting in that stupid cage with you if that's what this is all about. We belong outside. You can't run loose tonight. And not just because you might hurt somebody. I know people that'll be out there hunting for us. So you're saying I should spend the whole night with you, alone, locked in a cage. And folks, there are a couple of women that we're going to talk about today that I wrote some blog posts on, on the our website. So a little bit of the discussion will be related to those two. So I'm going to throw a question out to you two, Jess and Gina. First, what were your first impressions of Veruca when she was introduced to the show? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> so I haven't rewatched a lot of her episodes in a while, um, but... Okay, I'm, I love conflict. I'm sorry, I love conflict yeah. so much. <laughs> uh, when, I watch, <laughs> when I watch Buffy with other people, sometimes they obviously hate it and they start yelling at the screen. In the back of my head, I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, so <laughs> I probably didn't hate Veruca as much as a lot of other people. <laughs> right, and yeah. I, I actually found it really fascinating that she was different than Oz, um, that she treated herself as a werewolf differently as she had different feelings and thoughts about it. And Mm -hmm. I found it fascinating too, that like, of course I love Oz and Willow together, but I also found it fascinating that Oz had this kind of primal feeling for Veruca and it is very different than her and Willow's relationship. So I don't know. I was all about it. Obviously again, it it broke my heart that Oz and Willow broke up. Mm. I love them so much together. They're so beyond cute and so perfect, but again, I love conflict. So sorry about it. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Jess? Um, well, when I refer, when I very first watched the season, the series, I was of, of the majority of people who are like, I don't like Veruca. She broke up. Oz and Willow, you know, she kind of got in there and was kind of like, you know, very uh, upfront about it. And too, like that she she knew she made a made aware. Sorry, pardon me. She made it very clear what her intentions were, regardless Mm -hmm. of what people were feeling. So I just remember at the beginning not liking her. And it wasn't really, Kelly, until you like started talking about Veruca and I was helping you with your blog posts and stuff like that, that I was like, oh, seeing Veruca in a very different light and how, you know, and how she was treated and then how typically how monstrous women are treated by the Scoobies throughout the series. Right. Thank you. And uh, so as we know, Veruca has, yeah, kind of the exact opposite uh, thoughts and feelings about being a werewolf. She is, you know, she kind of takes it to, unfortunately, a very dark place. Um, But I feel like she kind of owns it. She understands that, you know, I am a werewolf. I have all of this extra power. And, you know, just a thought now, but I would wonder if Veruca would be so have such a presence if she wasn't a werewolf. But I have a feeling there's probably, I mean, she's only the wolf, as we know, you know, three days out of the month, or are we all the time? We'll get to that later. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think she just has that allure. And we see that in that, I think, one of the first episodes of her, she's singing in her band, Shy. Um, At the bronze, we have giles oz and xander just taken aback and just kind of in awe she, yeah she kind of exudes this 
primal feminine energy that those men kind of just really fell for, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And for me, I just feel like Ruka, and I talk about that in the blog post, but she just embodies like absolute, just like power, agency, femininity. And she's also very overtly sexual and very aggressive in that way, which is very opposite of Willow. And we see Willow, you know, being very, feeling very insecure, very insecure of this. Um, and as, and like I talk about in my blog post, it's, uh, Women, like Jess mentioned, in Sunnydale, uh, when you kind of look back, like take a step back and look at everything, if you are outside of the norm, then you don't belong. You are not going to be accepted. You are other, you know, you have to be put down, so to speak. What are all your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, um, that's really interesting. Like your blog post definitely also opened up my eyes to a whole other side of Veruca that I didn't really think about at first thought. Um, what I liked about it, and maybe it's just because like it was my experience personally in high school, is that like I was very much like Willow when it came mm. to relationships. Mm-hmm. So yeah. of course, like okay, this is like TMI, but ex-boyfriends of mine have cheated on me with women yeah. that, you know, were a lot more like sexual than me. And so I really, I find it re- really realistic. Um, but I could also understand if you didn't have that viewpoint when you were in high school, it does seem like Veruca is obviously made out to seem like the bad guy or a bad character because she's overly sexual. Um so yeah, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. And that's one of my favorite things about art is that everyone can see it differently depending on what they've been through in mm-hmm. life. And mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah. don't know. And I think that's why like when I first watched the the, the those episodes with Ruka, I identified with Willow because I was like, that's me. Like whenever another woman comes around, I instantly feel insecure and feel threatened and that my partner is going to like that person more because they look more confident and they're more, you know, confident in who they are and their sexuality and they, you know, and men can be attracted to that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember watching that and feeling very, you know, almost like I feel threatened for Willow. But... At the same time, too, though, just you like looking at the other side of it, it's like, well, Veruca just may look confident, but she may not necessarily be confident. That's just Mm -hmm. how she Mm -hmm. is dealing with things in the world and how, you know, and that sometimes we that's that element of when women turn against women. Right. Because like, oh, well, I feel insecure. Well, just because she's acting very confident does not mean that she feels that confident. That's just how she survives and goes and gets through the world as well. And uh, so that's where like when reading Kelly's blog post and rethinking about the character of, of Veruca again. I was like, okay, so yeah, she, so she mm-hmm. may be owning her sexuality and stuff like that, but she's also like, she was changed into a werewolf. That There's a sense of comfort or um, confidence that is a bit shaken by that because you don't know really, really where you belong in the world. That's a really, that's a really wonderful point. And uh, I, I have to say, I don't, when I first watch it, I didn't, I don't agree. I don't agree. Sorry. I don't identify with Willow in that case. Maybe I'm the Veruca. Probably am. <laughs> <laughs> I think about my me going on to first dates and, you know, having a beer and a shot and, and showing a lot of skin and men being very intimidated. Like, who is this woman? And asking me to kiss her. I'm just like, I'm very forthright Ugh. in in my <laughs> the total in my, in opposite my... of me <laughs> <laughs> eight yeah, hours right. later you get a kiss 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, and I read this really wonderful, I'm kind of obsessed with it now. And Gina, you might be into it. I should send it to you. But it's called Hairy Thuggish Women, a Female Werewolves, Gender, and the Hoped for Monster by Elizabeth Clark. I'm trying to seek this woman out because I just really loved her um, analysis and um, like kind of research into female werewolves overall. Yeah, that's really, really really neat. Yeah, it talks about like queer monsters and there's even like a whole queer element to it that I didn't necessarily want to get into here, but it's really fantastic. But she does make a point of, you know, Veruca's as an example of an unlivable monster. She's an unlivable woman. And, you know, she doesn't adhere to our proper codes of femininity and being a woman. Also, a portion of that is because she's a werewolf, you know, traditionally... Uh, a male kind of dominated role but she also because of being a werewolf portrays a lot of masculine traits we get very furry and hairy aggressive we're violent you know we're very just vulgar and you know she kind of takes that uh, takes that onto herself and she gets power out of that but obviously that's not how a woman should be so in the sunnydale universe you got to be put down so to speak Mm -hmm. you need to be wearing pastels and live in suburbia (laughs) yes yep (laughs) and it's actually it's Uh, it's (laughs) it's interesting too because is she just seen as a villain because it's different than willow you know i don't know if it was and again i could be so wrong but I i don't know if it was the writer's intention to make Veruca seem like a villain just because of her traits. I personally feel like she's just mm-hmm. a villain because she's the opposite of Willow. Like if we had a main character that was Veruca, Willow would be the villain. So it's it's interesting. I, I don't it could have been the writer's intention sure. to make her a villain, or it could just be because it's like, you know, the opposite of Willow. I also think it's interesting too that here we are, like we're talking about how uh, Veruca comes in and she breaks up Oz and Willow. But at the same time, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're forgetting about the agency of Oz. He is right. just as yes. much as has the ability to decide what he wants to do or not. And so, you know, he was just as responsible for his actions as uh, Veruca was for her. And I always think it's interesting that we always tend to forget that sometimes when it comes to these mm-hmm. separate situations, when like someone else comes into the picture and like, you know, a partner leaves and stuff like that. And we're like, oh my God, the other woman is because she did this and this is like, mm, he <laughs> yeah. was just as responsible yeah. for his actions as well, too. So Yeah. Totally. As, as they say, it takes you to tango. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it takes you to wolf out and bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. He did not act accordingly nor was he honest with himself or what was going on there mm-hmm. you know and that actually is a great point Jess because it re- reminds me of when uh, Willow comes in to, to meet him in the like get him breakfast and coffee that next morning and he said I had no choice it's like uh, uh, yes you did you could have told someone yeah but you right. locked her in a cage with you and then Veruca says girl's got a point and I was like yes yes Oh my god. Oh my god. I know what you saw. It wasn't. I had to. I had to lock her in there with me. I bet. She's like me, a wolf. 
Well, I knew you two had a lot in common, but... Don't touch me! She was gonna hurt somebody. I didn't have a choice. But you did. If you could have told somebody, your, your solution just put you two together in a room all night? Girl's got a point. Leave. I'm just saying. sat there and you you told me everything was fine but you thought with something that was not your brain and what <laughs> happened oh boy right? and so when we all like don't we don't turn against oz no. right no. like people yeah. are yes upset that he you know he breaks up with um willow and he leaves and we're like oh well, but but when i was doing google searches like just to see like what do people say about veruca yep. and everyone is a angry about her and they were happy that she's died that she dies and departs because she broke up willow and oz and it's oh, like God. okay that's very unfair <laughs> Yeah, it's totally that's a really unfair. good point. It's totally unfair. And also, yeah, look at her. She's such a slut, let's say. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's done this, but it takes, yeah. you know, it was definitely his doing. She didn't really, I think, at first an, uh, initiate everything. They found each other as werewolves out and about. Yeah. And uh, it happened. So, uh, so I had a question is... Uh, and I brought it up in the blog post as well. It's like, why didn't she become an ally instead of being a villain? I mean, it would have been really great to have another werewolf character and just learn more about it. I mean, she has an interesting kind of ideology behind it. Of course, it's very exaggerated. And, you know, she she thinks it's totally fine to kill to get what you want. But, you know, it would have been very beneficial to the Scoobies to have another werewolf around, you know? Yeah, that would have been extremely interesting because we obviously get different vampire characters, um, but having a, another werewolf, yeah, if she was an ally, that would have been interesting to see where that would have taken Oz's arc, not romantically, mm-hmm. just maybe his feelings about being a werewolf would have changed or mm-hmm. stayed the same. And yeah, that would have been cool. Well, I think with the reason why Veruca is not seen as an ally to them is because she does not fit the mold of what female about uh, femininity is defined by the Scooby gang. And mm-hmm. I know, Kelly, you talk in great depth about this in your blog post about how in the Scooby gang, you know, your your femininity is based upon, you know, fitting within a, a, so, a certain structure of social roles, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, having sex within relationships and being more... Um, coyish about your attractions and like i was saying earlier you dress in pastels and you (laughs) you know you live in suburbia you come from good homes and we don't know all of ruka's background but we also know like in a way and i know we'll talk about this later but she dresses like faith oh we all know that yep faith was never going to be a part of the scooby gang from the Mm get-go so Mm -hmm. that's even a line in the show it's like dresses like faith voice like an albatross yep yeah exactly (laughs) totally and then she has that comment where she says, Maybe you just don't want to admit what happened to you. Maybe you just want to pretend like you're a regular guy. Well, I am. I'm only a wolf three nights a month. Oh, you're the wolf all the time. And this human face is just your disguise. You ever think about that, Oz? What are your thoughts or comments or feelings on that? 
Again, I'm a conflict girl. <laughs> and I love <laughs> I love the dark side and and the dark side of human nature. Mm. And I think Oz, especially in the beginning, obviously wanted to hide the fact that he was a werewolf. Yeah. Um but I don't know. It, that comment that Veruca says just reminds me of of the vampire characters for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. And, and it reminds me of some conflicts that Buffy has to go through with her darkness of being a slayer. And yeah, again, I was all, all about that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like Veruca embraces who she is. You know, she's like, I am the wolf all the time. Like, this is who I am. This is a part of me. And, and whereas we know with Oz, he's meant to feel like, well, this is a curse. And you need to be caged away three times of three times of the of the month, right? You can't be, uh, you can't integrate into regular society with everyone else because of this, right? And it's kind of like the same thing of what we kind of do when women are menstruating. It's like, oh, mm. for so many times out of the month, you need to be like kept away from everyone because you're kind of crazy. You kind of go, you mm-hmm. kind of wolf out in a way. And Virgo's like, no, this is me all the time. I shouldn't have to. Uh, be caged away I shouldn't have to hide who I am and I'm going to embrace the the monster and within I love that and you know I don't even have anything to add because that was perfect (laughs) (laughs) especially the menstruation uh, yes insight it's very true very true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay I'm gonna finish off this segment with a question for all of us but starting with Jess who are your favorite female werewolves in film or tv uh, well, Ginger Snaps. Mm. Ginger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they're actually, like, and when I'm trying to think about it, like, there aren't a lot of female werewolves. Like, well, actually, sorry. No, I'm I'm wrong. Um, God, I can't remember her name, but she's in Bitten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the whole series on that. I read the whole, all the whole novel series, and I just can't remember the name, but I love that series. Oh, nice. The only thing is, though, being a female werewolf in the Bitten series is, like, um... A miracle, they call it, because women are not typically supposed to be able to handle the werewolf virus or gene. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. How about you, Gina? God, this really shows me how much I need to watch more uh, horror and <laughs> <laughs> supernatural, apparently, because um, I really cannot, I can hardly think of any. Um, I guess, and this is kind of cheating, because this is the only one I've seen, I feel like, is <laughs> Nina from Angel. <laughs> Oh, that's um, and fair. I know yep. you also talk about <laughs> you also talk about her in your blog post. Please, mm-hmm. listeners, if you haven't read it, please go to hbothenumbers.com and please read that because it's brilliantly written. But yeah, I really, really liked Nina, and I'm a Buffy Angel girl. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I really liked um, how Nina and Angel interacted and what what her relationship with Angel did for him. I'm also really glad they didn't end up together because, again, I don't think Angel should be with anyone unless it's Buffy. <laughs> but um, I, I really I really like Nina's character and I really felt sorry for her. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, you know, actually, there's apparently lots of werewolves and fantasy stuff, which I don't really read or watch. Um, but looking up female werewolves, there are a, actually a good number in horror there's actually werewolves are not for some reason I just haven't watched as many like vampire stuff I've watched a lot of uh zombies Frankenstein type creatures yes but werewolves for some reason not so I'm gonna say also ginger snaps mm. because I think that's us Jess but I'm ginger yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just such a fantastic Canadian movie uh and yes. I love the segment in trick-or-treat 
which is a, oh, yes. a Halloween anthology movie that I love. That's a really cool werewolf um, short segment. And it's really great with Anna Paquin. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. We'll move on to Vamp Willow, the bisexual vampire. <laughs> <laughs> So as a side note, I'll probably get up, get mentioned a few times, but episode 19 of I Spin It Your Podcast, we talked all about this subject. So if you want more and you're really curious about this, then please go listen to that. There's also some really wonderful articles out there uh, to touch on. And it's going to sound like a broken record, but I love first impressions. But what were your first impressions of Willow as a Vampire? Oh my god! It was like the hottest thing, <laughs> right? Oh, it is. Gracious. It is so true. Yep. Oh, yeah, taking off my shawl already. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I think that's everyone's first reactions. Um. <laughs> so yeah, it was. So Vamp Willow first showed up in The Wish, and mm-hmm. okay, so I'm a multi shipper, and I also love Willow and Xander. Oh my um. Uh, I was rooting for them from the beginning because the way Willow feels and they're so cute and I could talk about that forever, but it was amazing seeing um, Vamp Willow and Vamp Xander and their fascinating interaction. And it just felt like amazing alternate universe fan fiction in the best way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something Mm -hmm. that Buffy does so well is that so many episodes feel like fan fiction and fan service, but it's actually done so smartly Mm -hmm. and it's written so well that you can't even call it that. And yeah, it was just really cool seeing Willow in such a different light. And obviously Alison Hannigan is such an amazing actress and to see her just play a different like flavor when it comes to Willow is amazing. Agreed. Agreed. And great point about the fan fiction type episodes, but they're done so well that it doesn't feel like it's that. So good. It's so good. I love alternate universe type episodes on anything because I just, and The Wish is one of my absolute favorite episodes of the entire show. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Jess? Oh, I loved Van Willow as well. Like when she first came on the scene and I always love that because it's like, it's always the nice, quiet girls who always have like the super dark side. Yes. <laughs> when they go bad, they go bad. Yeah, they don't have it. Uh, I, I felt the same way as you two. I was so pumped because I just, I just love seeing characters in just like in a different way, in a different light and just seeing what they would be like as a vampire. And I'm going to go now to that in Doppelgangland. So when that spell kind of goes wrong and then our Vamp Willow comes into the regular Sunnydale universe. So this is when everybody's all together looking at uh, Vamp Willow. So Rupert Giles says, it's extraordinary. And Willow says, it's horrible. That's me as a vampire. I'm so evil and skanky. And I think I'm kind of gay. Well, I just remember a vampire's personality has nothing to do with the person it was. Well, actually, it's a good point. But we know what he was going to say is like, well, actually, there's a lot of <laughs> the human personality left in there. But of course, you know, mm-hmm. they just get all evil. It's like the evil twin, but there's still a lot of their own selves in there, which brings up an interesting point. So I kind of wanted to break this down into two things, which was... Her first point is that she's evil and skanky, which is going to, there's going to be a lot of similarities between these women, 
Um, so, you know, thinking about Veruca, evil and also apparently skanky. And, mm-hmm. you know, because she has that allure and that kind of exudes that kind of femininity and sexual vibe and energy that a lot of men are really interested in in the Sunnydale verse because we've seen that in those episodes. So here we are as evil vampy willow and she just exudes sex let's just you know we can just talk about that leather outfit for one moment (laughs) (laughs) you know she's uh she's confident she's the aggressor she wears all black so of course when you become a vampire you have to wear leather and that's kind of how that's kind of for me like the running joke in the in sunnydale like angel when he turns into angelus it's just like that's when the leather pants come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> right. You know, and, you know, Spike always has his leather jacket and mm-hmm. leather pants, such as always is something, but it's just like this leather, that leather thing that uh, <laughs> like goes hand in hand. So like in Sunnydale, sluttiness or skankiness is akin to being evil. They kind of just go together. And again, our evil, very openly sexual women need to be stopped. So thoughts on that, evil and skanky? Not that I'm calling you evil and skanky, sorry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Maybe Jess. Um, Jeez. <laughs> it's, it's, everyone burst out laughing hearing that. They're like, what? <laughs> it's it's so fascinating to me because I totally understand what you're saying and I actually completely agree with it. And then the other side to it is uh, I always think of when it comes to the treatment of female characters, are the men treated in a similar way? And if they are, I'm personally perfectly okay with it. Mm-hmm. So if it was only like the female vampires that um, became really sexy and dressed in leather and then the guys were just kind of the same, mm-hmm. uh, I could totally understand. But as you said, like Angelus and Spike, they're obviously also incredibly sexy and mm-hmm. also wear leather and are also evil Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting because I agree with you, but I also see the mm-hmm. other side to it. Yeah, that's a great point. I That's a great point that it's very even if you look at it from that point of view and look at just vampires in general. Um, and then you can also see that a lot of vampire uh, sexuality is very fluid. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really, they don't really care who you are, who you are. You're full, pumped full of blood. It's there's it's there's the sensuality of it, the romanticism of it. So they're just into everyone. Jess. About being evil and skanky. Evil and skanky. <laughs> My new nickname. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think when it comes to like when we look at vampires and vampirism, like what they what they represent to us is like the the dark fetish and dark fantasies of sexuality right mm-hmm. and so and in our like society and i could definitely see in sunnydale like people aren't comfortable with sexuality mm-hmm. just not and then to have it kind of like be kind of brought like put forth in in your face by like these vampires who dress very sexy like you know willow like you said in the leather and then like the corset Mm -hmm. she's like exposing and she's also very sexual in her mannerism and the way she talks and touches things and Mm -hmm. even like when you'll think later too like with like drusilla and even like spike and that just makes people feel uncomfortable and so when people feel uncomfortable with something it's better to like try and you take a binary aspect to it and Mm -hmm. say well 
I'm uncomfortable, so that means this is bad. So that's bad, so then you're evil. Mm -hmm. So then you're evil, you dress like an evil person, you act like an evil person because I'm uncomfortable. And so this is and this is where we end up labeling people as like good or evil. And that's why like we end up seeing with Willow, like she has to choose whether she's good or evil um, in her. Um, and we'll talk about like her sexuality mm-hmm. and her choices mm-hmm. because like she can't be bisexual or she's evil. Yeah. <laughs> because vampires are bisexual. And evil. <laughs> and evil. Exactly. <laughs> but but then it's interesting, too, because when um, in season six, when she's Dark Willow, I mean, okay, Alison Hannigan and Willow is always sexy to me, but you yeah, know what I mean? Totally. Like, she doesn't, um, that's not a part of her character or the way she dresses. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with Willow specifically, in my opinion, it's less about showing when Willow isn't straight and she's skanky that she's evil per se. It, it's, it's more of just like specifically vampires are, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and less about Willow when she's evil, she's skanky, if that makes sense. Um, Cause she isn't in season six. We don't, we don't see other female vampires outside of Drusilla and Darla, right? Like we get like the odd crony type vampire yeah. that's like a yeah. one hit monster, but like our main forerunners are like Drusilla and Darla and they're always portrayed as like, they're evil, like mm-hmm. just straight up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very and, true. And, and I'm sh- I'm sure we'll hopefully talk about Drusilla in the future, mm-hmm. and I better be there for that episode because she's my favorite character. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it's fascinating her past, you know, mm-hmm. w- before she was evil, she was very pure, and then the second she's evil, she's not. So yeah, it, it's 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 really interesting. But then Darla is the opposite, and again, I'm sure we'll talk about this for a while um, at some point. But I don't know. I will say to that point, you know, and you make really, really great points. Uh, I will say, though, uh, in season six with Dark Willow, though she is not as necessarily overtly sexual, definitely not in her dress. She's very dressed up, um, dressed like literally it's almost like a turtleneck that she's wearing. So there's that. But um, I think, well, for sure, she she flirts with Dawn, which in itself is a huge taboo with our age difference. And during that season, uh, Willow and Tara become kind of like pseudo parents to her. So there's a lot of Mm. kind of Mm. incestuous elements to that, that I don't think a lot of people talk about or necessarily realize, Mm. but she does have some inappropriate uh, behavior. And uh, during her time as dark Willow, well, they do talk like about Dark Willow when the way she dresses, because like it goes from this extreme of that very flowery Celtic garb, like mm. the the way the dresses and stuff like that. And then she goes to like black femme fatale, yeah. where it's like it's very masculine in the way it's mm. style and its color. And when she's and like you're saying, when she's on her rampage, like her relationship with Rack is very sexualized. Mm, and right. like you said, she's coming on to Dawn. I'm weird and I'm in the camp of like, I personally love when villains... <laughs> flirt with like main characters mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I just I love it it's definitely tropey um yeah. so but you make a really fascinating point when she does talk to Don I never looked at it like that I just saw it as a like Willow's a lot more confident she does want to make things uncomfortable mm-hmm. because she's in a really dark place yeah no, for sure. And I mean, it very well could just, just be that, but it still happens, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yikes. 
I guess <laughs> according to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show, if you were black, you're evil. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. You'd be never part of the Scooby gang, Kelly. Never. I definitely could not be because I'd be safe and everyone would hate me. <laughs> okay. So we'll go on to the second portion of what she said, which was, and I think I'm kind of gay. So this is at the point where we kind of, I guess, foreshadow what might happen later on in the series where she is seen or she herself identifies as gay. But if you also look at uh, different aspects of, you know, her personality and comments that she makes throughout the series and her as uh, Vamp Willow and as Dark Willow, she kind of swings both ways. And so there was this, uh, I read in this really wonderful article about um, like deviant sexuality and deviant gender expression. Uh, and that's kind of a term called monster queer. Oh God, monster queer, sorry. <laughs> and, it's, and this uh, gentleman talks about in his book, Monsters in the Closet, Homosexuality and the Horror Film, which is on my Amazon wish list and has been forever. <laughs> but yeah, so it kind of come talks about... Um, our monster queers, which Vamp Willow definitely could be because her sexuality is very fluid. Um, so she's seen as like sexy, alluring. They're politically progressive figure to some, but to others they might, um, who are more enmeshed in like a traditional role of what monsters and normality is, they're still seen as a social threat and they have to be eradicated. And, you know, monsters are often seen as other, queer folks are often seen as other, but they have to be destroyed. Right. And then in reality, people feel that way about certain uh, queer folks. And that is not an acceptable, acceptable way to live. So our monsters have we can have very different interpretations. We can see them as very threatening. We can see them as very empowering, but they're terrifying and fascinating at the same time. Oh, I I, I hate I hate playing devil's advocate. No, you love it. You love confrontation. You love conflict. (laughs) There you go. You're so right. You're so right. Who am I kidding? Um. It's great to see both sides of things. And I completely agree with that. And it's fascinating. But I also see Tara as such a wonderful Mm -hmm. person. And she's so sweet. And she doesn't take crap. But she's also so loving. And she's not a villain. No, she is not. No, for sure. You know? So So it's like... But then it's fascinating, too, because the other queer character in the show is Andrew, which I love with all my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah. A little bit too much. I love him. Um, But he obviously also started as a villain. Right, right. It was more just related to, like, really specifically looking at, like, the Vamp Willow, Dark Willow aspect. Generally, mainly just Vamp Willow. Um, And, again, all the other like vampires and stuff like that, which we kind of talked about already just with regards to they're evil, they're other, they also are kind of queer. And uh, go ahead, Jess. Well, I was just trying, like I was thinking, so like historically bisexual uh, women have always been characterized as immoral and Mm hypersexualized, and that they're typically often seen as sex objects of transgressive figures in a male-dominated world. So when you take bisexuality, and this is what I'm referring to in terms of like Vamp Willow, because I think, you know, Vamp Willow is bisexual, um, and connecting it to vampire vampirism is where it's making it monstrous, because we know that people who are evil are usually seen as um, confused or delusional. 
And we know that there's mention in the series. I think at one point, like Spike and Angel or something, the comments are made. They're like, yeah, we kind of go both ways. So like Drusilla, Darla, Spike, Evil Angel, like they're all bisexual. They're very fluid in their sexuality. And that is scary to people. Because we don't know where in a in a mono society, especially in the early like in the nineteen nineties, late nineteen nineties and early two thousands, like it's all about you're either gay or you're straight. You can't be one or the other. Or if you're bisexual, half the time, and I'm only speaking this from experience, you're seen as a flip flopper. That Mm -hmm. oh, you just haven't met the right woman yet, or you haven't met the right guy yet. So you're 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 eventually going to make a decision, and you can't really live in this binary world. And typically, where no, you have to live in a binary world. Pardon me. Um, you just can't be this in this gray haze and kind of be in the middle because that confuses people. Yeah. And then, yeah. And for sure. And, ahead, yeah. Sorry. I was saying. And again, we talk about this in episode 19 of our podcast. So if you're interested, mm-hmm. go over there for more in depth. But as we know, Willow turns gay, so to speak, and all is good in the world. She's picked a side. And that at the time, again, this is like early 2000s that that side is a very palatable to viewers and of course willow and tara's relationship is the most it's the healthiest on the show it's beautiful it's wonderful and it's fantastic and that really should be celebrated um but yeah so it's kind of just looking at again bisexuality or yes that binary kind of sexuality in sunnydale we're kind of just looking at the microcosm of sunnydale and in buffy the vampire slayer it's not understood it's not something because as it's shown it's all the bisexuals that are sexually fluid are vampires and our demons and our you know other types of figures are polyamorous or aggressively sexual they're excessive they're evil vampilo is a total fantasy <laughs> not with like ooh, she's a fantasy but she's a fantasy right she's a truly yeah. excessive and get exaggerated character for a reason i think yeah she's the woman you fantasize about but not the woman you bring home to mom <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> exactly or both yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 I love it. Yeah, there is this one one point, uh, Jesse brought up uh, Spike and Angel, but there's one point where they're like, oh, oh, well, there was that one time in Amsterdam or something like that. I'm like, oh, they mm-hmm. totally banged. Oh, totally. Oh, 100%. I have a theory that it was way more than once. They just don't want to, like, yep. bring it up to each other because, like, I am so sorry. They spent way too long with each other and they did <laughs> not just sleep together once. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's probably why there's like so many like hurt feelings between Spike and especially on Spike's part mm-hmm. and Angel. So just like maybe there was something. Yeah, there was something more than just one time. Mm-hmm. Well, if I was hanging out with Angel, Spike, Drusilla and Darla for hundreds of years. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have definitely been with all of them and they probably were all together at some point. A hundred percent. And and if Spike and Angel are talking about like when they have been together, they're obviously not counting the times when it was them four yes, all yeah. together. So <laughs> oh my I have many thoughts like the Fang Four are like my favorites. So. Oh my God, I totally derailed this. <laughs> no, but okay. One last thing I want to talk about this because again, amazing points. I could argue as well that when I first watched Buffy, I wasn't really sure of like, my sexuality and I loved when Willow said like and I think I'm kind of gay and it also brings up obviously how the other vampires are sexually and if you think about it 
I think Buffy and Angel does such an amazing job with the vampire characters being, obviously they're evil, but they're so likable in a way that like, Mm. if you ask anyone, those vampires are like a lot of people's favorite characters. Mm -hmm. So if the vampires were just evil and not complex and Mm -hmm. they were, you know, bisexual characters, then that's kind of messed up. But in my opinion, they're such amazing characters that even though they're evil, so many people love them. So I personally love that they're bisexual or pansexual. And I think in a way, just because they're evil, that doesn't mean it's not good representation because so many people love them. Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, it, it still sucks that the only bisexual or pansexual characters are evil. That part mm-hmm. sucks, but they're yeah. at least amazingly complex evil characters. Great point. That's a really good point great point because they are a lot of people's favorite characters uh definitely so there's you know pros and cons to a lot of this and i think that just shows that it's an incredibly well-written show yes the best art i feel like is art that you can debate and discuss and have Mm -hmm. two points of views or kind of agree with everything that's kind of how i'm realizing that i also agree with everything you guys are saying Right. Not that that was like the point of all of this, but I love this conversation because, <laughs> again, you're bringing up things that I hadn't really thought about. And I just love mm-hmm. that. Like there's so many pros and cons to, to all of this. And I think uh, a lot of good representation and sometimes not very good representation, like just straight up gay characters. I think that was really strong. The bi characters, yeah. a little problematic. But I mean, again, it was like late 90s, early 2000s. I think some of that's a bit a product of its time. And if it was made now, I think it would have been much different. Okay, let's move on to our third and final monstrous woman of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and my now all-time favorite character, Faith, the human monster. Stop struggling. Got it. You're uh, Buffy, right? Oh, I'm Faith. I'm gonna go on on a limb and say there's a new Slayer in town. Well, we know that when she blew onto the scene, I died. I just <laughs> was so excited. Thanks, B. And she just like slays that vampire and like goes back into. <laughs> into the bronze i just i love her energy i love her attitude i love how she dressed and it was just something that we really i think by season three we're like yep we needed this we needed this kind of character to kind of spruce things up a bit especially with the just how i don't want to necessarily say demure but kind of demure demure like anya wasn't really a part of everything yet um she's kind of Mm -hmm. background you know once the wish came along she was kind of around a little bit but you know Faith was there. She blew onto the seat and just knocked our socks off, I think. (laughs) What were your first impressions? Weirdly enough, season three was the season it took for me the longest to finish for whatever reason. Um, Not that it's not amazing. I I just missed Spike so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But that being said... Again, conflict girl. I loved Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, she did remind me a lot of Spike, but I was like, you know what? Since Spike isn't here, and I hate saying that because that's what I thought at the time. Since Spike isn't here, I love that Faith is. But obviously, <laughs> the more I rewatch it, obviously now, duh, they're so completely different. And yeah, I, I just always really liked Faith. I love the conflict she brung. I, I love that. So we saw Kendra before. Mm-hmm. 
And obviously Buffy and Kendra are completely different, but I love seeing Faith being a slayer that is also completely different than both Buffy and Kendra. Mm -hmm. So seeing just a different flavor of what a slayer could be. And again, I'm, I love the dark side of things. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Faith is everything that Buffy sometimes wishes she could be. Faith is everything Buffy tries to hide about herself and faith is also everything Buffy isn't. And that's really complex. So I really love that about faith. How about you, Jess? Oh, when I first saw faith come onto the scene, I was like you Kelly and I was all for it. I love, um, strong, dark haired women in my TV series. Um, (laughs) I love how, um, because like a being a huge fan of Xena Warrior Princess, that just like the darkness, that brooding aspect. But like you're at the same time too, they're like they're battling with this inner toil within themselves to do what's right, but also they know that sometimes they have to make the hard decisions that no one else can, mm-hmm. and that makes them a bad person. And so when Faith came onto the scene, I'm like, okay, so she's like the Xena of she's like <laughs> seasons one and two of Xena in Buffy oh, <laughs> before Xena nice. starts to before Xena starts to become like really good because of her sidekick and everything. So. That's, you know, and I, I do, like, I love Faith's story, and I think watching, again, the last two years and reading Kelly's blog posts and doing the research that Kelly and I have done about Faith has made me really enjoy her as a character as well and her complexity and really sad for how she gets treated and how she gets pushed off a lot of the times in the, in the show. Yeah, exactly. So my the first thing I want to talk about is, do you think overall that Faith was accepted by the Scoobies and why or why not? In my blog post, I say no, but... We're here to talk with you two. So do you think so? Um, it's That's a great question. I I feel like initially no. And then I feel like eventually by the end of season seven, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the comics happen. And mm-hmm. in season eight, oh, I love, oh, I love Faye so much. I love her art. She's so great. Um, in season <laughs> eight, then she kind of has the Buffy complex again. Mm-hmm. Um, where she's kind of comparing herself and she's not with the Scooby. So mm-hmm. I feel like yes and no, to be honest. Um, but I do, I do love that Faith com- comes back in season seven. And I do love that she's, she's been through so much, even though she's already been through so much when we meet her in season three, she's obviously even been through a lot more. And mm-hmm. I feel like they do accept her more, maybe not completely, but more in season seven. Right. You know, I a short thing about season seven. Of course, this is all how you run a show, but I'm watching. I'm like, why didn't they get her sooner? It's very frustrating <laughs> to me. And I'm like, what? But of course, you know, dramatic effect and everything by like right. episode seven. They're like, oh, maybe we should get Faith involved in the end of the world. <laughs> I don't know, though. But maybe now we should. But maybe that's something yeah. to be said that they waited so long because there's like, ugh, it's Faith. There's like not really a very warm welcoming when she does get back into Sunnydale. So maybe they waited so long because. Because they're maybe like concerned that she's kind of like still like a loose cannon. Mm -hmm. Because like kind of like the idea that, you know, while the Scooby gang never really accepted Faith, at the same time too, she rejected them. Mm -hmm. Like she rejected their traditional white middle class ways Mm -hmm. and their behaviors. And so she in a way like while she while she was an outsider and that was hard for her at the same time too it's what helped her get through and survive life and get the job done Mm -hmm. yeah and and it also feeling like she could be true to herself instead of having to like be what they wanted her to be Mm -hmm. and not be true to herself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's yeah it's fantastic so yeah for me i just thought that 
Faith was it's just too much for that tidy town of Sunnydale and too much for those Scoobies to handle. Um, I think that if they would have celebrated her strengths, which she had many, and encouraged her and didn't demean her or leave her out and just accepted her for she, who she was, which I know was very different from everyone else there. Of course, she went to the mayor. He, you know, though he's an evil mayor, but he's like, you're special. You have gifts. Mm-hmm. Let's take let's exploit them for his you know gain but he's like yeah look at all these wonderful things you can do you are awesome but nobody was nobody said that to her nobody really you know um i guess just accepted her and uh appreciated appreciated her for for who she was Mm -hmm. i i personally love that the mayor was the only person to do that because one of my favorite things about buffy um, and I think that Joss Whedon has a lot in his work is that like, you know, evil and good isn't just black and white. And of course, mm. like the evil big bad of season three, the mayor is the one that actually accepts her. Mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. I, I think in a weird way, it, it's showcasing a weakness that our heroes have. And I love Faith and the Mayor's relationship. It's mm-hmm. so it's so complex and fascinating and like mm-hmm. kind of sweet, which again, since they're like the villains of season three, it, it's great to showcase that. Cause I don't know. I, I hate so many like movies or TV shows that like the villains are just bad and that's yeah, it. I know. Like I, yeah. I love the complexity, you know, I was gonna say like, in my mind, I was saying like evil accepts evil, but I really don't think faith is necessarily evil, but you made a good point that like, evil did accept her for who she was you know mm-hmm. and i know there's a much more intelligent thought in my brain about that right now but i'm losing it <laughs> but i just yeah you're right it's really interesting that this evil person was was able to see the amazing person or in like slayer and um, fighter that she was but our scoobies could not right well it's like so interesting because at the same time you see this amazing quality about Faith is that she is loyal mm-hmm. and she, like and if you empathize with her and you understand where she's coming from and give her that space to be who she who she is, then she hasn't she gives you her allegiance and she's there for you and yeah. so that's where that relationship with the mayor is so interesting because of that she just has that loyalty and I think she would have had that same loyalty for the rest of Buffy mm-hmm. and the Scoobies if they didn't reject her from the outset and call her and labeled her the bad girl right from the beginning and said you are a high school dropout mm-hmm. you're you don't you don't you're in uninhibited uh yeah. you're impulsive you're mm-hmm. like sexually experienced you're of a lower class background yeah. look at the clothing you reveal you're bad. You're a bad girl. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And thinking about bad girls versus good girls, of course, so often and in the show, and then I think fans uh, like to compare and contrast Faith and Buffy. So where do you where do you two think are like some of the biggest kind of aspects where they're similar, or where and then where they differ? I just feel like um, Faith is a lot more confident, which I actually really appreciated when I was first watching the show. Like some women are just more confident than other women mm. and and it's based on like how they grew up and their experiences and i think because of faith's obviously her her crazy upbringing and her childhood and what she's had to go through that made her more confident so for me it was never like oh she's she's confident and sexy because she's more i don't want to say more evil than buffy but kind of but i just like that 
she was confident because that's how she is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Buffy was obviously jealous of that. And I don't know, maybe I just love villains so much and I always see <laughs> it from their perspective um, yep. <laughs> that I never, I never looked at um, Faith as a bad person. I just looked at her as like a foil for Buffy and that doesn't mean she's bad. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm sure there is a lot of viewers that didn't look at it that way and I'm sure they made it seem like she's a bad person. But I don't know. Yep. I never looked at Faith as bad and uh, you could probably write like a million <laughs> essays about Faith and Buffy and how yep. they're different, how they're like. They're, it's honestly like one of the most complex and fascinating and, and best relationships in the Buffy verse. Yeah, it's great. And, and again, I really do think obviously Faith was jealous of Buffy, but I definitely think obviously Buffy was also jealous of Faith. And I don't think Faith realized that. I feel like if she did realize it, she'd be a little happier. <laughs> Interesting. That's that's definitely mm-hmm. a good point. That's definitely a good point. If people just would have been maybe more honest with themselves and each other that all of this could have gone a much different route. Well, I like how, um, because I remember when Kelly and I, when we talked about this in our first Buffy episode, and I read the article, I hope evil takes MasterCard and it's MasterCard and Faith the Vampire Slayer and the image of the bad girl society. And this article, this essay talks about the differences between uh, Faith and Buffy, where the sense like Faith represents the dark side of slaying, Mm -hmm. but she represents this most... uh, postmodern feminism where she's very sexualized femininity she's mm-hmm. more radical she's aggressive kind of man-hating um where buffy is more of the third wave feminism which is all about girl power and being assertive by while still being feminine mm-hmm. and keeping that at the same time too and i think that's we know we sometimes find we run into conflict with those types of feminism and how we right. address each other yes yes like one is better than the other but there's um, yeah very a lot of strengths and um of course, really wonderful points to to both view both viewpoints. I guess you could say exactly. Yeah, um, I find with Faith that like she just she just really thrives in a very loose environment, and she needs limited rules and guidance. She just needs the opportunity to kind of just like do her work, and I can totally understand that. And Buffy's the opposite. You know, she needs all the training and the practice and the schooling and the the guidance she's not she doesn't just wing it let's say (laughs) you know and faith's all about winging it and if everybody tried to fit faith into this perfect slayer box and this mold you know we saw it with kendra kendra was even more into that mold that she didn't even have family and friends she wasn't allowed it was all about being a slayer and studying and you're gonna fight evil and that's all you have in this world ah you know buffy you know and that's why she's so different and she um, clashes with the council all the time because we have, you know, she has all this support, emotional support, familiar support, friendship and partners, romantic relationships and stuff. And she sees it as an asset, which is what she, you know, talks about with Kendra. And then Faith comes along, like Gina was talking about, we have three very different Slayers, which side note, I just, I love the aspect of the Slayer. And if they did more stuff on Slayers and just like different aspects of the world at different time periods, I'd be hella for it. (laughs) You know, so you have Faith come in and how she wants to work is just like very loose. Okay, you want me to go kill a demon? I don't care what, like just how do I kill it? Great, I'm going to go do it and she'll get it done. She gets the work done. She's very efficient, you know, and uh, she just doesn't fit into that mold. And we have, again, 
I'm going to say this again for for Faith, but she doesn't fit into any any of these molds. She doesn't fit into the Slayer mold. She doesn't fit into like the general life mold. She doesn't fit in the general like rule of woman mold for for Sunnydale. So of course she is kind of just not accepted. She's kind of discarded. She's not, you know. And then she kind of just goes onto the to the dark side, so to speak. Then Beautifully it, said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it I gets agree. gets into I think a reoccurring theme to these monstrous women. And we'll talk about in part two, but it's a lot of this comes down to sexuality. Faith is shown, her sexuality is shown as dangerous. It's empty. It's non-monogamous, you know, case in point Xander, you know, she dances with all people at the bronze. She's flirting with men, women, and she is obviously seen as a very extreme threat to the women's of the Scoobies. And at that point, it really was just Willow and Cordelia, but she is just so again excessive and it's just too much and she just shows this like absolute pleasure in being all that she is you know unabashedly who she is she's a slayer and she loves that she loves violence she loves sex she's strong she's powerful and that is just such a big no-no faith is more of like an antagonist not really a villain in my opinion so i always i always look at either the villain or the antagonist point of view (laughs) and i i guess (laughs) i just put myself so much in her head that i don't Obviously, the show is portraying her as bad, yeah. but I also feel like it's complex. And I also feel, I don't know, I, I've never I've never seen any Faith episodes and it feels like the writers are judging her. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I definitely agree. I don't I don't think she is a bad person either. It's just again, it's coming down to the microcosm of Sunnydale and they view her this way because of how she acts and her behavior and who she is. I think she's that the reason the reason why she is my favorite character is because she's infinitely nuanced and hugely complex as a person, as a woman, as a slayer. And I just I just love all of that. When you watch her arc from Buffy into Angel and then back to Buffy, it's it's incredible. Jess, you're kind of silent for a little bit. Did we lose you? No, you. No, I'm here. I was like, I was just listening to you making some really great points about Faith and, and her sexuality. And I just think it's always so interesting how, and it's not just like in the microcosm of Sunnydale, but just in, in general, we have women on TV who are, you know, very sexually fluid or aggressive in their sexuality. It's really, it can, some people find it can be off-putting because they're just like, oh, well, that's very uncomfortable. And, or, you know, or like, or they call her like the slut or the skank and mm-hmm. she can't, she, her morals are in question. And I feel it just that's the same path that would happen to Faith in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really interested, too, because I had a read another article in preparation for this about um, because it's wrong, limitations of female empowerment in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm. Mm. And they talked about Faith's journey of the series about trying and what she goes through is all about forcing her to conform to the appropriate version of female empowerment, mm-hmm. um, one that is moderate morally righteous and carefully controlled so like you're uh, we were talking earlier about like Buffy right mm-hmm. following a routine and everything is very mm-hmm. carefully monitored where it's not the same for Faith um, and I thought it was so interesting about how he, they talk about in this essay the relationship so we know that Faith she's you know sexually aggressive she is all about like you know like when she's done slang she gets her kicks off and that feels really great um, she's <laughs> not about having a monogamous relationships and just you know uh, going to the beat of her own drum. However, in season seven, we see that 
a relationship begins to develop with Principal Woods. Mm -hmm. And in a way, he challenges her Mm -hmm. and her sexuality. But at the same time, too, it's also he's trying to entice her into a monogamous relationship Mm -hmm. to make her conform to this appropriate version of female empowerment. Like, okay, well, you can you can be you can be a powerful woman. However, we must we must contain the sexuality of yours because it's a little it's a little too much for the men of this of this of this town. It's too much. Totally. I'm a, I, I have read about that as well. And it's, 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 it's interesting because maybe by the end of season seven, she's maybe accepted and she's also reformed. And part of her reformation is that, oh, now she's going to get into a romantic, stable, normal, monogamous relationship. And that is now, you know, she has now kind of come full circle and now she is like, she's fine. You know, she is now okay to be here because, you know, yeah, there's this dude that challenges her, but, you know, he's going to tame her because, you know, faith needs to be tamed. And that's an aspect that everybody was trying to do was to, you know, she was a wild card. We have to tame this unruly, unlivable, dangerous woman. Mm-hmm. So even without reading the comics, I never thought about faith and principal, principal Wood, like, actually getting together mm-hmm. i always just saw it as like principal would just kind of giving her a chance that other people haven't mm-hmm. and what that would do to faith's character because again i don't really see faith like obviously being with someone long term i just mm-hmm. loved i just love that he would give her a different kind of chance and that's what i loved about their mm-hmm. relationship and their little interaction towards the end of the show was like, oh, like mm-hmm. they're actually, their personalities are really cute together. He does challenge her. She challenges him as well. And it's less about her being tamed and more about him just like um, treating her seriously enough to maybe be in a relationship. Yeah, you definitely could see it that way. And I think initially for I, I did. I don't, I'm not really like set in stone and how I feel about their relationship. But then I, you know, thinking about it now, I mean, his mother was a slayer. He mm. had a very uh, unfortunate upbringing because his mother was a slayer. Everybody was in danger all the time. She was killed by Spike. Um, so maybe there's an element of, yes, he does want to tame her because he knows how crazy and unruly and dangerous a life for a slayer is. So maybe this is uh, his time, his chance to, quote unquote, help this woman out and show her that it's time to settle down. Ooh, that's that is really interesting. Mm. <laughs> OK, I'm going to move on unless there's any final thoughts. No, I, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. OK, so a question for you folks. or It might have been in the general notes, but, uh, you know, as now we're winding down this discussion, uh, it seems that and to me anyways, it seems that the Whedonverse and at least Buffy the show is actually quite conservative. And do you agree, disagree, why, why not? Any thoughts on that? I think the way the writers write the complex characters, even if they're quote unquote bad, I personally can't see the show as conservative because if it was conservative, I don't even think they would ever show the other sides of human nature. And I think they would write it less complex in my opinion. Um, sure, I think the main three characters, you can think of them as conservative in the sense of when it comes to like sex and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, 
it isn't conservative because uh, well at least for me when i was first watching it again i was very unsure of like my sexuality like this show opened my eyes to so many things and made me feel differently about things so for me it made me less conservative <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, nice. yeah so that's great again e- even just seeing the show angel um with um <laughs> Angel and Spike, you know, saying their thing, that they've had a thing. I'm like, oh, my God, like, seeing two male characters, like, say that out loud? Like, think of all the straight men that are watching this. (laughs) (laughs) I was just very, very happy about it. It just really opened my eyes. So it's hard for me to think of the Whedon verse in that way. So I think for the time period that Buffy came out, I think it was somewhat liberal in the sense that it was able to touch upon ideas and i and have discussions about things that were happening of the time like the late 19 like 90 pardon me late 90s and early 2000s so like we talked about in our episode episode 19 about it was so important that homosexuality was represented in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and it was great for its time um, and maybe the writer's room was not thinking at the time about okay well how important it is to talk about bisexuality and you know move right. away from this idea by erasure so I think it was liberal in the time that it w- it came out and was written but it can be viewed as a bit conservative in our time now and mm-hmm. so when we look back and we say okay well where where are people of color where is our diversity mm-hmm. we know how are we addressing this idea of bi erasure so you know so i think it's like it straddles it, it's it's um it straddles the line of being you know liberal but also being conser- conservative at the same time but for where so for when it came out though and how it was such an impact for you know young men and women of our age you know growing up and watching this they're like oh my god what is this i love this there's so much i need to think about now Mm -hmm. it was perfect at the time period excellent yeah i definitely agree i think when it comes to critically evaluating shows and movies from our past uh it's important to look at things contextually and like time frame wise and, and everything all right, my last big question that um, I love and I'm excited about. Okay, how do you two feel about evil women or monstrous women? Do you find you can relate to them? Do you find them empowering? Or do you more relate to figures like Willow, Buffy, or Cordelia? Great, great question. <laughs> um, I think I've probably mentioned a few times how much I love villains. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, even so much that I wrote a Sherlock novella with Moriarty's perspective. Um, (laughs) However, it makes me sad when I hear people say things like, oh, usually the main characters of things aren't the best. Like, I don't think Buffy's the best character. I don't think Harry Potter's the best character. Um, Even if they're not, which I don't agree with, um, I still think the heroes in Buffy are also just... I mean, they also show their dark sides as well. Mm-hmm. And and I think the villains also show their good sides. So I I can't even choose. I mean, my favorite character is Drusilla, so I guess if you look at it, um I would I would like the monstrous women more, but I also love Buffy so much and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think they all show different sides, so ooh, I can't choose. <laughs> <laughs> you have to choose right now. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. How about you, Jess? 
Well, I love, uh, Gina, that you bring up a really good point that the diversity of the show was able to show is both that both our heroes and our villains can be good and they can be bad. And this is a a real struggle in our world. Like, you know, you're not... You're not always love and light. Sometimes you're, you know, some darkness is in there and you got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But I also know for myself, like growing up, uh, I was always all about the villains in um, (laughs) like the evil queens and Disney movies. Like, come on, Maleficent, like Ursula, like they were awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So I do tend to. um, And like I said, one of my favorite female role models was Xena Warrior Princess she was a bad person for a good for a good period of time and her storyline was all about her redemption and and how to she had to struggle with that good and bad side so mm-hmm. i i like i like our care i like the characters to have diversity to them i don't like them to be 100 percent purely good mm-hmm. yeah you like the you like that balancing act that can happen yeah, between the the good quote and bad quote side yeah it's exactly. fantastic I, t- I totally get that for me, I personally really, really love evil, bad women. <laughs> um, they, I think they repre- no represent how women aren't supposed to act and mm. how women are supposed to be uh, in many ways. Um, you know, these women are, again, this is in certain ways, um, they're shown, I feel like, stronger, they're more confident, they're sexual, they're smart. And I find empowerment more so in these dark, dangerous, evil, monstrous women than I do from the quote-unquote good and virtuous women. Um, These evil women tend to live outside our social norms and think outside of the box, and that is something that I have related to since I was a teenager. So when I decided that I'm going to wear all black for now the rest of my (laughs) life, you know, there is that that sense of freedom in those characters that I really enjoy because they fully embrace their darkness and... I I tend to enjoy those characters and find them much more empowering. I love Buffy so much. She is, you know, a part of the reason why I am here today. I do lo- like the diversity in the characters. But when it comes down to it, I find the strength in our feminine monsters because I find that in myself more. The, the dark-haired, the raven-haired mavens. <laughs> there you go. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> Okay, so for part two of the Monstrous Women of Buffy, we're going to talk about Drusilla, Darla, Anya, and Glory. Yes. And like I said, (laughs) Jess, I would really love to have you back for that. I'd love to talk about Anya. Excellent. So it's now time for us to check in with all of you as we open up the Nevers mailbox. If you have a question, comment, topic suggestions... Or if you want to correct something that we said in a previous episode, write it all down and send it to us at theneverspodcast at gmail.com or tweet it to us at theneverspodcast without an A. And we'll be sure to read it on an upcoming episode. So we have two letters today. The first one is a long one and I'm going to break it up into sections. So the first letter is from longtime listener Berger. He says, hi, Whedonites. So happy to see that you're doing an episode on these women. I read Kelly Gardner's essay on faith and I found it very interesting, though, speaking as a straight-ish white man person, I found myself (laughs) disagreeing with many of the points made. I agree that faith has many likable and admirable qualities. Also, she does differ from the Sunnydale women in some important ways. However, I struggle to see how faith, as she appears on paper or on screen, could be seen as a badass feminist. Faith can be quite cruel, and often this cruelness is directed towards other women. A prime example is the way she bullies Tara in Who Are You? This act is completely unmotivated, and Faith seems to enjoy herself very much. 
Other examples are when she leaves a visitor to the hospital unconscious, badly beaten, and stripped, or when she elbows a woman in the mouth because she picks she pecks Faith on the shoulder after Faith has interjected herself between the woman and her boyfriend. So I'm going to stop it first at that, and I'm going to first respond because it's directly related to my post. Um, so just as clarification, my post discusses Faith up until the point before she goes to the quote-unquote dark side. Uh, my argument was that she would have been, I think she would have been accepted for who she was if she wouldn't, if, sorry, if she would have been accepted, she wouldn't have gone down that path. I think she definitely is very cruel and mean to people later on, but I think some of this can extend to some elements of insecurity that perhaps Faith uh, feels and some jealousy of personal relationships. Also, Faith is somebody who likes to rock a boat and be a bit, and she is a bit of a bitch in the later episodes. You know, um, my post is up until a certain point. A comment is that, yeah, she's not very nice later on, but she's also kind of gone to that quote unquote dark side. And I don't, and she wasn't mean before that. So her badass kind of feminist aspect of it, I think it's her overall attitude in certain, her certain behaviors at certain points in her very traumatic, dark, struggling life were not great. But do I, do I see that as we can't see her as a feminist? type icon or character no i disagree with that every single character uh messes up so that would be like saying in a way like oh buffy's not a feminist character because she did this and this and this you know Mm -hmm. yeah or willow yes yeah and i would i would agree with you too right because it's like saying um we can't call, we can't say that Buffy and Willow are feminist characters when they're calling other women skanks and sluts and stuff like oh, that. That's not yes. very feminist. Oh, God, exactly. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> that wouldn't be very nice and feminist of you to look down upon other women for being more sexually open than you. Yes, that's exactly, exactly. <clears throat> so saying she's kind of badass and a, and a feminist icon is because she's unabashedly comfortable in who she is. And that is amazing. And you don't always see that in shows and in movies. Okay, the next section says, And while the Scoobies are somewhat taken aback by Faith's sexual confidence, such as when Cordelia tells Xander to stop asking for more sexy stories, The whole summer, it was like the worst heat wave. So it's about 118 degrees, and I'm sleeping without a stitch on. And all of a sudden, I hear the screaming from outside. So I go tearing out, stark nude, and this church bus is broke down, and there's these three vamps feasting on half the Baptists in South Boston. So I waste the vamps, and the preacher comes up, and he's hugging me like there's no tomorrow. When all of a sudden, the cops pull up, and they arrested us both. Wow, they should film that story and show it every Christmas. God, I could eat a horse. Isn't it crazy how slaying just always makes you hungry and horny? Well... Sometimes I, I crave a non-fat yogurt afterwards. What was the uh, story about that alligator? You uh, said something before. Oh, there's this big daddy vampire out of Missouri. He used to keep them as pets. So he's got me wrestling one of them, okay? The thing must have been 12 feet long. And I'm, so you know, was this um, also naked? Well, the alligator was. <laughs> Xander, find a new theme. Faith shows very little respect for Buffy's boundaries while asking her about her sex life. So for me, I don't necessarily recall recall exact example of this, but I know that Buffy is uncomfortable with her sexuality. So if Faith is talking about her sexuality very openly, then that makes Buffy uncomfortable. You know how, you know, <laughs> I think there's a moment where 
Faith does like this like grunting kind of like fist pump in the air kind of type uh, mo- movement and motion. And Bobby's like, oh, my God. Like She's just like very <laughs> put off by that, you know. But I still think that's OK. You know, some people need to be a little bit nudged. You know, I don't think she necessarily went beyond any kind of boundaries. Well, I think that's just going to back to where people are just uncomfortable talking about sex in general. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, talking, you know, when people say like, oh, I did this thing with so and so, like, I don't want to hear your sex life or TMI. Like, I don't want to get into that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and then once again, we're we're making sex taboo and mm-hmm. we're we're putting it we're putting in this dark room saying you only ever do and talk about this in this dark place and you never come out and talk about it in public mm-hmm. because why normalize sex? Right. That's not right. Exactly. Exactly. So another section, he says, personally, I don't take much issue with how other characters react to Faith. I think the problem is how Faith is written. The portrayal mm. of Faith makes it seem as though there is a connection between sexual confidence and cruelty in women. Buffy's experiences further reinforces that idea in indulging in sex that leads to bad things, such as in Surprise Innocence and all of season six. Uh, I think that's an amazing point. Yeah, that is a really good point. Oh, that's tough for me. Um <laughs> because so surprise and innocence are two of my favorite episodes for very obvious reasons and jealous is the best thing ever and he's a monster (laughs) um but (laughs) but i and i'm sure you guys know this like i love the whole metaphor of like a guy can change the second you have sex with him because that's all he wanted in the first place Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, like, surprise and innocence is just a metaphor for that. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily a metaphor for, like, everything sex in the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think season six with Spike and Buffy, um, if sex was portrayed in any other way with them, it would be very uncharacteristic and very out of character. And I also think Buffy is in such a bad place that that's why she's engaging in sex like that. Um, If sex was always bad in this show, maybe I could agree with that statement, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it is. Mm. How about you, Jess? I agree. I would not like, I I don't have much more to say to that comment. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it was a really wonderful point. And I think it just briefly, it comes down to that slut name game, right? It's a, there's insecurities and uncomfortable aspects, and we've kind of touched upon all of this throughout this entire episode, but overtly sexual women threaten other women that perhaps are not overly, you know, overtly sexual. Um, and I think it was more like thinking about the 90s and thousands. I, as an adult in many, many years, and sorry, for many years, I have yet to hear anybody call somebody a slut. I really don't think that is overall so much the thing that women call other women now. I think it might be something that men still call women and people mm. in power call other women, but I don't think that really is stuff that we talk about nowadays. So for its time, I think that that is a really wonderful insight that sexual confidence means that you are like you're a threat and you look you are to be looked down upon so you're just going to have to it's just essentially that it's a competition and that might come down to monogamy <laughs> 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 that if another woman is very sexual it means that they're going to come after your man and want to have sex with them but also hey remember when we talked about oz and having agency well when we talked about you know your man not having yeah. sex with other women so yeah infinitely complicated 
Okay, so the next one, Jess will like. I think that a character that often gets overlooked in these discussions is Anya. Of course, there are certain issues with Anya Lamas made up maiden name too. Firstly, she relies upon men to give her an identity, be it Dehofren, Xander, or Giles. When she is on her own, she wonders if she is, quote, really nobody. Secondly, she shows little interest in joining the Scooby sisterhood. But Anya loves sex and is very vocal about it. Her oversharing may cause some eyeball rolling from the more prudish members of the group. But after a thousand years of chastity, Anya seems to be genuinely enjoying herself. Unlike Faith, Anya may be mostly monogamous, but in entropy, she angrily defends her right to have casual comfort sex with Spike. I definitely have thoughts on this. I'm going to start with you, Jess. In the sense of like the character of Anya being overlooked? That and her relying upon men to give her an uh, an identity. Um, I don't think. Okay, yes, I do struggle with that because there is an element where she's all about being a vengeance demon, and the reason why she's a vengeance demon is because she was cheated on by mm-hmm. her former partner um, Olaf. Yes, um, and that, but like at the same time too, she was kind of a bit witchy in her in her practices, and she was kind of like the. Um, I guess like kind of like the witch of the neighborhood mm-hmm. in a way. And um but at the same time too though she tried like I don't want to say that she does like he makes a good point though that I didn't think of I'm like okay yeah so maybe her relationship she really was kind of defining herself with the relationships but at the same time too she's also a very strong character mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she comes across and she I find a lot of times like when she is just the individual that she is, who she is, she gets put down a lot or she mm-hmm. gets told to be shut up mm-hmm. or be quiet or Anya you don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, well no, like you keep kind of putting her in her place, and it really was a really shitty thing that Xander did by leaving her at the altar. But at the same time, too, I felt it was a good thing for her because she was able to find herself again and find out who she is mm-hmm. um, as an individual and as a contributor to the Scooby Gang. And then at the same time, too, like they, you know, even though they kind of accepted her as part of the Scooby Gang, she was kind of like, I don't really want to be accepted as part of the Scooby Gang. I just kind of want to be me and just mm-hmm. continue to be me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great points. And yes, I do love the points that he had brought up. It's really great. And again, haven't I don't think she's necessarily overlooked, but I think that I personally overlook her a lot. And I'm really looking forward to part two of this and we can like really get deeper yes. into Anya. So my brief thing I'll say about her is that I think Anya stating that she's a nobody could come from her reflections of the female experience after a thousand mm. years. And she yeah. feels like she needs to perform as a normal female human a woman and not just like a demon woman but like an actual human woman now and so due to her behavior her very frank honesty that she isn't truly a part of the scoobies because we don't really see her ever hanging out with the women from what i can remember but only ever in like a group activity and she's kind of like you could see her kind of as like a tag along as xander's girlfriend but Jess made a good point of like, maybe that's like, she doesn't, she doesn't even want to be a part of it. That's fine. She never, I don't think she ever experiences like, oh, I don't want to be a part of this or yes, I want to be a part of this. It's just like, right. she's kind of just Anya and that's just, that's just that. And that's great. Moving on. Uh, he says, I really like vampire Willow. The two Willows may conform to a Madonna horror dichotomy, but human Willow gets to integrate some of her vampire twins qualities into herself. She sees this sexually and ambiguous and assertive reflection of herself and decides that she can learn something from that um i love that great great points i hate and love the madonna horror dichotomy dichotomy which we didn't talk about but i definitely could see that in um our regular willow and our wish willow or our vampire willow um and again i'd say 
listen to episode 19 of I Spin Your Podcast for a much more in-depth conversation about that. But I do think it's an interesting point about Willow potentially taking inside of herself some aspects of Vamp Willow later in life. <laughs> Um, then the last thing was, I believe Drusella is the most powerful member of the three-piece whirlwind in season two. Agreed. Um, <laughs> oh. She she has Spike and Angel eating out of her hand. Yes, Drusilla. And we'll definitely talk about her next time because she's actually one of my favorite characters and my favorite vampire of the series. <laughs> I I cannot have loved that comment anymore. <laughs> yeah. It is perfect. She has Spike yep. and Angel eating out of her hand. Oh, Bless you. <laughs> yeah. It's very true. They both want her. They both desire her. They both had her, obviously. Um, You know, but she, yeah, I don't even think she knows the power that she has over men and just everyone. Or does she even, and at the same time, does she even care that she knows that she has this power? No. Yeah. (laughs) Can't can't wait to talk about her. She's so (laughs) interesting. Okay. So he says, that got very long. You don't have to read it all out. Of course I did. Do what thou wilt. Looking forward to the episode. Burger Will Halverson. Thank you so much for that interesting, excellent insight and letter. Please send us more letters. <laughs> so this is a new one. And our second letter comes from us from first time writer Krista. Uh, this just excited me so much when I saw this come in. Hey, Nevers family. This isn't related to the Nevers, but I hope you respond to it anyway. It seems to me that the divide amongst horror fans comes down to how one defines the word horror. For example, I loved The Witch, but when I was leaving the film, I overheard people remarking that it wasn't scary and they never jumped once. I think people forget that horror is a broad term. Thoughts? (laughs) Krista. So Jess, as uh, I'm the resonant horror fan of the Nevers podcast and you are my guest, also a big horror fan, please, we'll start with your response to that letter. So my response to this letter is, you're right, and this person is right, that horror is not, and I think I, I fell into this category once before where I thought, okay, well, like, a horror movie has to scare me. I have to feel, like, that adrenaline feeling of feeling scared and need to, like, wrap myself in a blanket and, like, jump and stuff like that, but over the years, I've learned that horror is just the truth in your face, and sometimes mm-hmm. it is uncomfortable, and it makes you feel uncomfortable, and it, in it makes you think about some of the realities in the world that we don't necessarily always think about um, every other day. So I don't think it necessarily has to be a scary a horror movie has to be scary. It, I think it can be thought provoking and I think it needs to make you feel uncomfortable and it needs to make you start um, looking at things in society in a different way and address it um, as you can. And that's where like I come from. And that's why I love the horror genre so much. I also love the horror films that make me scared and also like are just there for pure entertainment value and make me feel uncomfortable. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so for, for me, as a 25-year horror fan, Krista, I understand your, I'm going to assume, maybe frustration at these types of remarks. Horror, just like any other genre, it's an art form. Um, how you respond to it is going to be different. Everybody's going to respond differently to me, to it. Sorry, they're going to respond differently to it. It is subjective. Uh, feelings and emotions are subjective. So, yeah, everybody's going to respond differently to a horror film. Probably to some people, the witch scared the crap out of them. It didn't scare me, but it made me feel very uneasy at certain points. Mm-hmm. And I love that movie. It's one of my favorite horror films. Um, I always go back to the definition of horror. And it's an intense feeling of fear, shock, or disgust. And how that's going to relate to everyone is going to be so different. You know, some people might have been super shocked by the witch. Maybe they were disgusted. Maybe it actually scared them. 
but it doesn't make it any less of a horror film. So horror isn't all about necessarily being scary, being jump scares. Jump scares are a cinematic tactic. That is not the essence of horror. That is just one small piece of the horror puzzle when you're putting together an actual film. Horror films are created to, like, they create an atmosphere of, like, a sense of dread and unease. Yes, maybe that adrenaline. But again, everybody's going to respond to it very differently. For me, if I hear something like that, I don't really try to engage with people because I just feel like it's such a bold claim that this isn't horror because yada yada. They just mm. don't understand the subjectivity of their own claims. Very well said. Thank you. That's my thoughts on that. Thank you for the horror specific related question. It warms my black heart. So <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, everyone. That is the end of part one of The Monstrous Women of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Please remember to subscribe to the Nevers podcast and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That'll really help us out. Leave us a review, share us, please do so. Find us on hbothenevers.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at hbothenevers. Thank you very much, Gina. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. (laughs) And Jess. Thank you so, so much for coming on this episode of The Nevers. Thank you for having me. I really was, I had a great time. I loved having you on here. It was a different (laughs) dynamic, but it was so amazing. And you're super smart and I love having you on here. Thank you. So would you like to share, like plug your projects and your social media where people can find you? Well, people can find me over at Dispensers of Horror. So on our social media and Kelly's probably going to, you know, tell me that I got it wrong. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Spinsters of Horror and our Twitter account at Horror Spinsters, as well as I have my own personal accounts, which are uh, at SpectralJess07 on Twitter and also on Instagram. And you can also find us, find me on Facebook under the Spinsters of Horror page. And Excellent. keep an eye out for our next episode, which will be about the coming of age horror, which will be all about the film Teeth. Excellent. More female monstrosities. <laughs> yes. So my social media is at Gina Gemini. Gemini is spelled with an E in the middle, G-E-M-E-N-I. So feel free to tweet me or Instagram me or any of that stuff. And for me, of course, you can find me on The Nevers Podcast, um, hbothenevers.com. I write uh, articles for the website. I am now curating and creating and producing some episodes like this one. So please let me know what you thought of it. And if you'd like to see more, what you liked, you didn't like. Uh, yes, spinstersofhorror.com is my other project's website. I myself on Twitter, you can find me at kgredner. And we'll see you next time on The Nevers Podcast. That's it. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was edited by Matthew Yamanashi. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on The Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers Podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy. 
Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Neverest and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders.